American freedom is secured by the commitment of our courts and our people to the rule of law. National Review's The McCarthy Report offers listeners in-depth analysis on the most pressing legal questions facing the country. Alongside National Review Editor-in-Chief Rich Lowry, veteran prosecutor and law professor Andy McCarthy leverages his decades of legal experience to cut through the noise of media hysteria with sober-minded, thoughtful commentary. Tune in to the McCarthy Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to The Bookmonger. I'm John J. Miller of National Review. Thanks for listening. This show is a production of National Review and we're recording from the studio of WRFH, the campus radio station of Hillsdale College. Our guest is Andre Archie, author of The Virtue of Colorblindness. Andre, welcome to The Bookmonger. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're a professor of ancient Greek philosophy at Colorado State University. You're also an African-American. How does a guy like you come to write a book like this on the virtue of colorblindness? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've always been interested in the Greeks. I had some great uh, mentors, uh, African-American mentors at Colorado State University, where I received my undergraduate degree. And it was really their influence that put me on this path. And so as I've gone through years of teaching at Colorado State University, it occurred to me that the the discussion of race in, in the public square is antithetical to everything that the country stands for, our founding principles. So the Greeks... And what they stand for, not everything, of course, but there's some basic ideas that we get from the Greeks that can really help us to sort of navigate racial discussions, especially as it relates to DEI, anti-racism, and the like. We're seeing divisiveness on campuses, but also on the primary and secondary levels. And so my book, The Virtue of Colorblindness, is designed to argue forcefully uh, for the founding principles and how we can minimize that divisiveness that we're finding in the public square. I suspect the Greeks didn't think about race the way we think about race, but what on earth can they say to us from thousands of years ago about colorblindness now? That's 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 a really good question as well. I mean, that that really gets to the heart of, of the book. You know, there are many traditions within the Western philosophical tradition. So the tradition I'm focusing on originates with the Greeks. And so I'm focusing specifically on character as the locus of moral agency. And so when MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., talks about judging people by the content of their character as opposed to their color, he's tapping into that tradition. So what I focus on are some basic pillars of what character is. I specifically appeal to Aristotle's concept of eudaimonia. And so again, character as the locus of moral agency. And so we need to get back to that tradition. Now, that tradition isn't specific to the the Western philosophical tradition necessarily, but we, we find it there uh, discussed in a way that resonates with our founding generation, but also with Frederick Douglass. And then, of course, uh, MLK really uh, uh, fleshes out uh, and makes concrete those ideas. 
So it's the concept of character that's so significant for my argument and how that can help us navigate these discussions of race today. What's so great about color blindness? Why do we need it? Well, we need it because that's the predominant and really the only way that we can navigate differences in America today. The alternative is to focus on claims regarding systemic racism. That doesn't take us anywhere. There's no common script that we can be united by. So in addition to the virtue of colorblindness, we have a sense of identity as Americans, which comes through in this concept of colorblindness. So what we're getting today, it's just the opposite. We have different ethnic groups, different racial groups, and there's no common thread. There's no sort of principles. I appeal to the founding principles, but there's no principles that unite these disparate ideas, ideologies regarding race other than conflict. And so my book directly argues against that divisiveness as it relates to these various racial ideologies. So I think I really uh, provide a roadmap uh, for Americans in terms of our shared identity and putting aside a bit the particularities that that make us different from other people. I mean, that's fine. We can celebrate those, but we need a common narrative that we can come back to. I provide that. Is colorblindness, real colorblindness, achievable? I, I wonder, is anybody truly colorblind? Well, of course not. It's aspirational, but it does take into account the fact that we we have liberty. We're free to conduct ourselves in, in the way that we see fit. Now, of course, that's within various contexts, various moral contexts, and that's a good thing. And so we can judge people, or at least aspire to judge people according to their character. Now, we, 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 we make a, a rule of thumb decisions and, and we see people, et cetera. So of course, we're not blind to people's ethnicity and their racial characteristics, but those characteristics do not carry moral weight or shouldn't. And so that's the whole key behind the virtue of colorblindness is that these descriptive qualities such as race do not carry moral merit or the, or the lack of these descriptive qualities uh, do not uh, carry uh, any sort of negative connotation, if you will. And so it's, it's aspirational, but it's a tradition that keeps us focused and in line with the American project in terms of our aspirational uh, beliefs anyway, right? It's a part of who we are as Americans. So I think it's aspirational, but I think it's something that keeps us focused uh, on the right things as Americans. How did we find ourselves in the position we're in right now? And of course, race obsession allowed slavery in the 19th century and earlier. We've overcome that, but we certainly have not arrived at Martin Luther King's dream. What went wrong? That's right. I think, uh, you know, there's a there's a soft underbelly, right? I mean, we do have a past. And the individuals that I talk about in the book, people like Ibram X. Kendi, uh, D'Angelo, uh, Derek Bell, uh, Coates, each of these individuals, they, they, they know that Americans are vulnerable uh, to certain discussions regarding race, certain topics dis uh, regarding race because of our past. And so they don't try to educate Americans in terms of that past and help us to tap into our our, our better angels, if you will. They, they want us to focus 
consistently on America's failings in terms of its racial past. And I'm saying we can do better than that. We can do better than that. And so a lot of these ideologies like DEI, anti-racism, they were marginal sort of academic studies in the classroom at university. And then the first incident, O.J. Simpson trial, uh, you had sort of the emergence of critical race theory, uh, the concept of jury nullification. But it wasn't really until the death of George Floyd that these ideologies sort of emerged out of the classroom and really dominated the public square because Americans felt awful, right? We felt awful. And so because Americans, I think, are well-intentioned, they kind of went to the extreme and they started listening to people like Kendi and people like Robin D'Angelo. And that was a bad and awful development. And we're still feeling those effects. And so, again, my book is designed to push back against that. It recognizes the past, but it says that we can rise above our past, or at least we can learn from it. I should put it that way. We can learn from it. The other actors, they're bad actors, right? They're people like D'Angelo, people like Coates. Uh, and I'm saying we can do better. But that's where we went wrong, I would say, especially with the death of George Floyd. Things started going off track in terms of people actually accepting uh, what uh, DEI and anti-racism um, supposedly offer. In your book, The Virtue of Colorblindness, you have several chapters on those particular activists. They all operate under this banner of, quote unquote, anti-racism. I can't stand that term. It's like if you're not with their agenda, then what are you, a, a, a pro-racist? It's, right. it's such a loaded term. Exactly, exactly. And I, I try to get inside of, of that way of thinking, and it doesn't make a lot of sense at all. Either you're an anti-racist or you're a racist, right? There's no neutrality. In other words, Kendi even says, you know, if you're colorblind, that's a form of racism, which is just absurd. But ultimately, each of these actors, each of these bad actors that I that I argue against, assume that America is systemically racist. And so what exactly does that mean? Well, they don't know what it means because you get many different uh, arguments regarding what systemic racism is. But I know they want to say, first and foremost, people of color, blacks in particular, are victims, white people are the victimizers. And so there we're assigning moral traits and characteristics to groups, right? One group is good, one group is bad. And they each are united by that proposition. That's what I go against hard in the book, or at least I, I hope I do. But it's a pernicious ideology, these ideologies of race, DEI, et cetera, very pernicious, but it's systemic racism that ultimately uh, unites uh, each of these basically racist uh, intellectuals. So what's the solution? Let's make this our, our final question. What's the way out? Should we read more Greek philosophers? Is it education? Broadly speaking, is there a public policy element to this? What do you recommend as we aspire toward colorblindness? I, I would say all the above. I would say first and foremost, we have to speak up. I have a chapter, the last chapter, Comfortable Racism, uh, basically argues something simple. Speak up. I think there's a lot of people who come up to me and agree with me. They say, Andre, you're courageous. And I say, well, you know, there's nothing in, in particular about me that is special. Um, I do speak up a bit more, but I think that everyone should speak up. You know, the conversation that we're having, most people have over their dinner tables, right? Their colleagues. 
And so there's nothing really controversial, or at least I would argue there's nothing really controversial. So I would say, first and foremost, we need to speak up. The second thing is it's the family. At least part of it is the family, the breakdown of the family, particularly among African-Americans, because it makes the young people and even some of the older people vulnerable to these racial arguments, right? There's a lack. There's something that needs to be filled. Either they do it through affinity groups or gangs, uh, but the families is a key uh, component. So I would say there's a public policy component insofar as perhaps uh, marriage initiatives could, could could be helpful, right? Because not everyone comes from a nuclear family. Uh, so perhaps other institutions, mediating institutions can can help fill that void. So I think the family, I think speaking up, and I think, yeah, a broad sort of liberal arts education uh, at the right places could be helpful. But I do think the key is speaking up. I think that we know intuitively that we should judge people according to their character. And if we can, if we can voice that, if we can be courageous enough to, to communicate that, I think that we can start seeing changes. There are some other public policy uh, uh, parameters to this discussion, but uh, that in particular, or at least those two that I mentioned, um, I, I talk about in the book. The author is Andre Archie. The book is The Virtue of Colorblindness. Andre, thanks for joining us on The Bookmonger. Thank you for having me, John. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please take a minute to leave a review. Your reviews help new listeners discover us, and that helps us keep this show going. We'll be back next week with an episode of The Bookmonger.